0: December 6, 2022, we're in Masechet Berachot, continuing our learning together on Dafhet Bet and before the lines get wide, we are seven lines up, the second word on the line, Amar. Now, Right before this, the Gemara had mentioned this advice that Rabbi Joshua ben Levi gave to his sons. Several matters which are not, per se, halakha, mi'ikar letter of the law, um, halakha, but rather ma'ala, or midat hasidut, uh, level of piety. And the last of those was uh, this almost poetic line that you should be certain to be uh, uh, zahir, you should have caution, b'zakin she even an old man who forgot any and all of the learnings and teachings that he had earlier in his life, uh, been able to remember, even if he forgot them, he zaharu, be careful from that person, give them the proper respect and be cordial with them, because after all, luchot Shivre luchot Munahim ba'aron, or munachot ba'aron, that both the first set of luchot, which were shivre luchot, they were shattered, as well as the second luchot, which were intact, were placed in the Aron. In other words, not only the second ones, which could be read, which were something that were coherent, but even the first ones, which were shattered, of course, likened to the Zaken Shishachach Talmudah. We suggested, and in turn, I found it in this book called En Aya, which is the commentary of Rav Cook on Masechet Berachot, and I just wanted to reiterate it in his words, the idea that we set forth. He says, "Horah." A person who studied Torah, not only did they understand, not only do they remember the Torah, they acquire what he refers to as da'at. And he continues, through studying Torah, their soul has become straight just and righteous. Even if they forgot their Torah, so the details, uh, the the clear way of portraying it may have been lost. But the general, overarching reality, and the way that a person becomes cleansed, the way that a person gets a straightness in life, the way the person becomes a different person with regards to midot, character traits, and, and refined uh, approach to this world, that's never lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, the same way he continues, he says, You wouldn't be able to say everything in it. You're not able to talk all Torah, but you can, to a certain extent, live Torah. You can, to a certain extent, let that become a part of you, even when it's not articulated clearly. The idea being that the respect for the zakim she shakhach to a large extent, as I'm suggesting, as Rav Cook to a certain extent is implying, is not only about when you meet that man who or woman who forgot everything, it's also about your own life. How do you engage in Torah? Is Torah just an opportunity to know more? Is Torah just about understanding, knowledge, or maybe even practicing laws? Or is Torah overarching and something broader and more general, what he calls klali, with regards to uh, a certain da'at, a certain yiddiah of, of Sedek, of Mishpat, of Yosher, as he described it. Okay, continues the Gemara for our purposes. That was the advice of Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi to his sons. The Gemara now tells us that Rava, similarly, had some advice to his sons. Again, not explicit halakhot, not what we'd call per se me'ikar hadin, but advice. Be very careful. Sons, be scrupulous about this, because many people aren't, he seems to be telling us. Ama Rava hotchim basar, well, this is very practical. Matter of fact, halacha: When you cut meat, make certain that you don't cut it on your hand. Well, why shouldn't you cut it on your hand? Why does it need to be on a cutting board or on a table? Ikadeamres, some suggest the reason is mishum sakana. Because it's dangerous. There's a potential danger. If you cut it directly onto your hand, you might cut your hand and in turn cause a loss of life or cause Tremendous and severe circumstances with regards to your health. The ikadamre, others say, not even a fear per se of sakana when you cut the meat onto your hand instead of onto the table. It's rather mishum kilkul seuda. It's just because uh, even a little bit of blood, even if a little bit of blood gets mixed onto that meat, That's problematic in and of itself. People won't want to engage in that meal any longer. People won't want to eat with you. It's important to be careful about that. That was one word of advice of Ravah to his sons that makes certain that when you cut meat, it's not al-gav hayad, but rather on top of another surface. Secondly, Ravah told his sons, ve'al teshevu al mitat aramit. Don't sit on a Ramian bed. What does that mean? the Gemara will have several interpretations there that in just a moment. And thirdly, the Alta Avru Don't pass by the knees, the synagogue, while the congregation is praying. The third one sounds most relevant as to why they're repeating this these words of advice understood in terms of context for our sugya sugyot of the Gemara this last one is with regards to synagogue but again it's words of advice it may have just been taken off of the fact that we had Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi earlier shenai mikrave had targum is what he was referring to which beforehand we had relevance with regards to the Kiryat Torah in general which is kind of part of the synagogue um, experience but at the same time, you're right. That last part is most relevant because we might have statements of other rabbis to their sons. This one maybe was specifically mentioned because of this. Uh, what is that last one? Uh, of course, the Gemara will elaborate and give specific uh, uh, detours. Excuse me, details with regards to it. Uh, but th- that last one is describing how if a person were to see, if there were one entrance, for example, the Gemara will tell us to the kness and a person is passing by, and imagine it as the only kness in town, and it's when they're praying, the person walking by, uh, leisurely, in a leisurely fashion, why are they doing that? Well, they must be kofé. They must be against what we're doing over here. It looks bad. It's an inappropriate activity when everyone else is engaged in a communal prayer, in the communal location, and you're just uh, leisurely, in a leisurely way, just walking by. Okay, the Gemara will deal with each one of these. First and foremost, the Mitati Aramit. What does it mean to not sit on an Aramian's bed? First explanation, or tagnu belo Don't go to sleep without saying Shema. What does that have to do with an Aramian? Apparently, the idea is an Aramian is the example of an Anjou. Okay, and, uh, that's, that's how we'll uh, you know, call her B'ail Aramit. Uh, the Gemara says in uh, Why is the Gemara referring to a Naramian? It's really referring to any not, any nanjo. Well, that's the standard word, uh, I guess, for censorship reasons. They don't want to say nanjo. But the idea being, what distinguishes my sleep from... Uh, from the non-Jews sleep, my sleep goes. It begins with and is sort of entered into with Kiryat Shema. I have Kabbalat Olmalchut Shemayim as I go to sleep, and as a result, that's a whole different engagement. I now close my eyes. I now enter into a world where I'm not just feeding my own physical needs and pleasures of making certain that I feel good when I wake up. I'm rather envisioning this as part of an overall approach to life. It's Avodat Hashem. Kabbalat Olmalchut This sleep is put as in part of a context of life which is purposeful and mindful as opposed to an angel sleep might be for them pleasure sleep might be for them beneficial with regards to their just practical engagement in this world that would be the explanation to that first one that's a different explanation to what this mitat aramit is referring to that you shouldn't get married uh, rava was telling his sons to a Giorit, to a non-Jewish woman who converted. Of course, Rava would be very beloved in the Syrian community. Uh, but what the Gemara is, it seems to be implying, in contrast to a Gemara Masechet Horayot and Gimal, which seems to imply that converts, uh, everybody should be running after the converts to get married, um, there's two vantage points to a certain extent, and two angles with which someone who's new to the tribe, new to the religion, can be envisioned as either being a threat in terms of I don't know what they're going to decide tomorrow did they actually change and actually determine that they're going in a new way of life? Or is this just a temporary approach and they're not fully certain? That would be the caution of Rava. Alternatively, it might be later generations or a different circumstance where you're so certain and, and, and absolutely aware that this individual is steadfast and brings a certain excitement and almost passion to it that they came to it on their own. Again, it might be circumstantial and Rava might be speaking about the converts of his day, Specifically to his sons, in his knowledge that it was not not a great uh, engagement and lifestyle for them to be married uh, to a convert. The kadamre, last interpretation again to the statement of Rava that you shouldn't go to sleep, you shouldn't lie down on a uh, or sit on a bed of an Aramian. The Kadamre Aramit mamash. The third interpretation is not a convert who's no longer an Aramian, not before you go to sleep, but rather mamash Aramit, a non-Jewish woman. Dirav Papa, says the Gemara, and because of he was warning them, what had taken place in the lifetime in a specific encounter with Rav Papa. What's that? Rav Papa. Azal Legabe Aramit. Rav Papa went to a non-Jewish woman's home. Why was he going to a non-Jewish woman's home? No. Why was he going to a non-Jewish woman's home? Uh, the thats not Rav Papa. Rav Papa is not uh, allured or, or lured in rather by this woman because of her appeal. Rather, the Gemara and Masek Pesachim and Rashi and Ashbam seem to imply there was a uh, there was a financial uh, obligation. This woman owed him money. That's why he's in, uh, entering into her home. Anyway, he goes to her home and Hosia lo mita. She brings out a bed. And it seems like, as she's going to gather her money, as she's taking care of whatever she owes him, she says to her, Papa, Shev, sit down on this bed, why not, go ahead. he says to her, realizing, this is a little bit strange, why would she have me sitting down on this bed? I don't need to sit on this I'm not certain what's underneath this bed. Maybe there's a sword. Maybe there's a snake. I I have no idea why I'm sitting on this bed. You're setting me up for something. Until you pick it up, I won't sit down. (inaudible) They picked up the bed and they found a dead baby underneath. In other words, she was setting up Rav Papa so that he would sit on this dead baby and then she would claim that he killed the baby. Instead of him sitting on the bed, he made certain to check it before him, and as a result he averted that danger, says Rava. There's a particular and specific fear, I guess during his time, uh, for this sort of libel that would be leveled against someone from Amisel. says Rava, don't sit on their bed. Of course, by extension, that would mean to each of us to have our eyes on our head glued appropriately. In other words, we're certain when we enter into dangerous situations, if... It's with a person that's not trustworthy. That we're careful with regards to what we do. Mikanam Ruha based on this, says the Gemara, the rabbi said, and in turn Rava instructed his children, asur leshev al mitat aramit. Okay, you shouldn't sit on that bed of the Aramians. So three interpretations with regards to that, isur yeshiva al mitat aramit. Says the Gemara onward, but there was a next statement, the fourth statement, of Rava, or third statement of Ravah, Don't pass by the Knees, the synagogue, while the congregation is praying. Le Bioshua Ben Levi says the Gemara. This supports <coughs> the statement of Bioshua Ben Levi. Identical statement. Don't pass by the Knees when the congregation is praying again. While they'll be able to see you, Rashi and others make clear. He appears as if it's as if he's moving away from the entrance of the Knesset. Uh, so it means that people will see you, and maybe even outside, but if you're passing by during a time that the congregation is in the middle of prayer, it looks wrong. Amar Abaye qualifies this. This is specifically when there's only one entrance to the knees. So someone sees you passing by, that, the only entrance says, oh, he's not going into the knees. If there's two entrances to the knees, even though you're passing by for something else, they won't say he's specifically passing by not interested. Maybe he's going through the other entrance. In other words, you don't need to go that far for this issue of marit ayn, of someone seeing you and, and believing that you're doing the wrong thing, if there's another very clear option for why you're doing what you're doing. And furthermore, if there's another k'nis, if there's another synagogue, there's no problem, because the assumption of someone seeing you passing by doesn't say he's not interested in praying, doesn't say he's kofir, rather says he's going to the other knees. Of course, that would make... Every situation, whether it's one entrance or not, in our day and age, in our communities, um, very clear that this is not relevant to us as a halacha. And furthermore, it's specifically when he's not carrying a burden. If he's carrying a burden, we say, oh, he's busy, he's working. It's not that he doesn't care about prayer. He may have prayed beforehand, maybe he's praying later on, he needed to pray bi'ahid. this is the only minyan. Yeah, but he's got a burden, he's got some sort of business he needs to deal with in a pressing way. V'larahit. And he's not running. If he's running, he's, oh, he's got something to go to. He's not just leisure in a leisurely way passing by, oh, he doesn't care about, God doesn't care about prayer. And furthermore, that he's not wearing tefillin. If the man is walking with tefillin, nobody's saying, we assume, that he's a kafir, that he doesn't care about prayer, he doesn't believe in God. If there's any of these qualifications, any of these situations, let lanba in anubo, there's no problem in such a circumstance passing by the synagogue, the Bet Knesset, at the time that they're praying. A or, not an end. Or, any of them, that's right. Says the Gemara, Tanya, a bit right, <laughs> a marbi'akiva, ohevani eta madayim Says Rabbi Akiva, now that we're talking, the Gemara seems to be bringing this up, about non-Jews, and about the proper way of, cutting meat well why don't we talk about the way that non-jews act properly sometimes and says so, there are three things that i could look at in the madai people and i could say those non-jewish people they got a few things right what are those few things that they got right when they slice meat which is what we began the day with they don't do it onto their hands they do it onto the table they know how to do that right he seems to be implying that Am Yisrael, the Jews of that time period, didn't always do it so. Again, one of two problems. Either Sakana or Kilkul Se'udah, as the Gemara told us earlier. Furthermore, those Madai people, Kishinoshkin, enoshkin elah al-gav When they kiss one another, they don't kiss on the face or on the lips. They kiss on the hand. And Rashi explains the significance of that. Rashi says that al-gav hayad, et yad haverohu noshek Hashivu toze It shows a certain dignity to the other person because instead of putting your germs and your your spit onto their face, or into the onto the lips, or into their mouth, put it onto their hand. And it's kind of distance from them. I guess the assumption is they could then wipe it off. So that's a certain honorable way of showing to another person that you respect them. Again, in the day and age when people were kissing one another somewhat regularly instead of, I guess, shaking a hand or even nodding in the way that it would be appropriate today. And when they are are giving advice one to the other, when they're having the powwow, when they're looking at one another and discussing, planning, they do it out in the field. They won't do it in the house. Why won't they do it in the house? Because there's the fear other people will listen. There's eavesdropping. They make certain that they have a certain way uh, when it comes to uh, important matters, they do it in a closed off way, not publicly. Rashi, as a matter of fact, says, It's an interesting Rashi. Rashi quotes, he says, you should know, people say the walls have ears. I don't know that that's a rabbinic statement. That's a Rashi statement. Rashi says, you know, people say the walls have ears. And that's why you should go out to the field in order to avoid... Those walls which have ears, the walls don't actually have ears. The idea is when you're surrounded by walls, someone might be right outside the door, well, someone might be around the corner. When you're out in the field and everything you can see and take in, you know that this is private. Amar Vadabara ahava, my kar'ah, says, <laughs> perhaps there's a pasuk we can point to that that justifies or um, is, is a proof or, or some sort of uh, related concept with regards to giving advice or discussing, planning, outside of the public eye, away from people's vision or hearing. Yaakov, in this past week's parashat, as he realizes, as God instructs him to leave, as he realizes that Pene Lavan are not uh, with him the way they had in the past, there's now a jealousy from his father-in-law, he calls his wives out to the field and discusses with them then the fact that he thinks he should leave. Why doesn't he just do it in the house? Or at the very least, why is the Pasuk designated and specified, does it in the field, to teach us Derech Eretz in that respect. <coughs> Tanya, another Beraita about ways of non-Jews, Amar HaBan Gamliel b'shelosha dvarim, Ohev ani et Says, Rabban Gamil, I'm not going to talk about the Madayim, but I will talk about the Persians, about the Parsi'im. Rabbi Akiva, you had three ways in which you respected or thought there was good nature and, and approaches amongst the Madayim. I think it amongst the Persians, Parsi'im. First and foremost, Hen t'snu'in Secondly, t'snu'in be-bet-kise. Thirdly, Ut'snu'in they have a way of sini'ut, of piety, of not opening, of, of concealing with regards to eating. Something that they're eating is not done in a public fashion, an in-your-face way. Snu'in bebet Kise, their way of relieving themselves, is done in somewhat of a modest way, a concealed way. The Gemara masechet Eruvin on Dafkov says that had the Torah not been given, we would have learned sini'ut from the hatul, from a cat. Uh, she explains that cats, when they relieve themselves, they cover it up. So the idea being, there's something about covering, about being concealed, even when you relieve yourself. The Gemara later on on Daf will describe what's called the Bet Kise the Persian uh, bath- bathrooms, which of course is similar to the bathrooms that we have today. The idea being that when a person would relieve themselves once upon a time in the outhouse, so the, 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 the excrement was left there in the bathhouse and needed to be removed. In the Persian bathroom, it would then, it would just, they had this slant on it, so it would kind of be removed immediately. There's something about distancing yourself from filth that the Persians got right. And lastly, says (laughs) Rabban Gamliel, She says, that's Tashmish. When they have relations, um, of course, that's to be kept in a very private fashion, and the Persians do that right, we should only learn from them the proper way of acting. Says the Gemara, but wait a second. While we're praising and talking about the goodness of the Persians, of the Madayim, let's understand that we're not to be really envying them. And by in order to do so, the Gemara cites a pasuk from Yeshayahu. The pasuk says, Ani siveti gam karati giborai but the Pasuk refers to, um, at that time period, uh, the uh, Persians. And the Persians were going to take down the Bavliim. It was going to be Paras against Bavil, time instruction of the Mikdash. But the reference to the Persians, the P- Parsim, is Mekudashai. Oh, almost makes them as if they are holy, sanctified, good people. Tanerav of Yosef, no, sir. Edo HaParsiyim, yes, that is a reference to the Persians. What makes them Kadosh? Hamkudashin instead of reading the word kadosh as holy per se it's something that's prepared or something that's designated <laughs> tells us it means head it means separate. So the Kedushah, Rashi at the beginning of Parashat Kedoshim says, Min HaArayot, Kedushah means to be separated. They are separated, oh, in a positive way, right? No, the gehinam. So the statement here of of, of this uh, of the Gemara of Rav Yosef is, as much as they might be Tzanua, as much as there might be things we can learn from them, we can learn, as I said earlier, from cats as well, it's not per se that they're destined for greatness. Okay, we'll pause here. The Gemara goes back to our Mishnah. We go back into discussion of Halacha from here. We've been discussing discussing some halachot, but generally speaking agadot, the Gemara goes back to round out the conversation that we had in our first Mishnah with regards to the final time of reading Kiryat We'll pick up with that next time. Baruch Adonai Amen be-amen.